Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast, coming to you live from Metron. Metron people, would you please give the podcast people a welcome? Welcome. We are in a series. This is part three. The title is uh, In the Garden, Rethinking Righteousness and Self-Actualizing for Success. Uh, it was interesting. I hadn't heard from Dr. Sheila in a, a little while, so I texted her this week and said, are you okay? I'm just checking on you. She said, yeah, I'm just in the garden self-actualizing. I thought, oh, okay. I guess, <laughs> hey, Dr. Sheila, I guess you're watching. But... Um, let me explain to you again where I'm going with this. When I talk about in the garden, obviously the reference is the Garden of Eden, but I'm using it this month. I want you to think of it as a metaphor for your life. You have a Garden of Eden in which you were placed and you were given instructions. Uh, you were given the same way that Adam was given instructions to um dress and keep the garden, uh, you were given a life's mission. And you're supposed to do something with the life you were given. You know, they say um, who you are is God's gift to you. Who you become is your gift to God. And so when we look at the whole Genesis narrative, which... Uh, where I'm at on my journey, I tend to lean more towards the metaphysical interpretation of it than literal. I don't, I, I don't think Adam and Eve were technically the first two people on the earth. If you believe that, you're entitled to your opinion. I've just, the earth's just been here for a while. And even in Genesis, if you know how to read it, even Moses says that God was aware of other people. He's, you know, uh, Cain went somewhere to find his wife and there was a place called Nod. And uh, when when a mark was put on Cain, Cain said, when the other people see me, they'll know something about me. So there was, I, I just believe that the Hebrew Bible narrative began with the concept of an Adam and Eve. I think Adam and Eve are figurative. Um, the word, the name Adam means uh, blood of God. So it, when, when we talk about Adam and Eve, we're talking about the creation of God. You work... I, record I do believe in God I do believe in a creator I do believe in intelligent design uh, do I believe he's a Jewish man on a throne that might be one incarnation of him but I'm not going to limit the God the concept I have of God is much bigger than gender or patriarchy or culture to me that's what Jesus meant when he said it's necessary that I go away in other words, if I stay in this incarnation, you're going to only think God is this. And this is just a part of God. That's why I don't have any issue. I know you all know this, but I don't have any issue when somebody says the universe this, the universe that. Because in my mind, they're just saying God's a bigger concept than what you got in Sunday school. That's all that means. It's yes and, it's not either or. And um, that's why several of you, Rhonda was mentioning about the prayer I prayed uh, last Sunday, Spirit and Truth, that's why I prayed the way that I did. I prayed Father God, Mother God, Creator God, Spirit of God. I, I invoked the angels. I invoked the ancestors. I invoked my grandfather. I invoked my uncle. I invoked Carlton Pearson. Um, 
that's a real thing. I, I remember um, one of the meditation weekends we did was in Cherokee. And Cherokee is technically a, a Native American reservation. The entire city is. <clears throat> that's why there's a casino there. But um, I spoke a lot about ancestry, the ancestors of indigenous people, and, and how much the Native Americans who lived and still live in that part of the world were very connected to the ancestors. And Wellington, was I remember, was on uh, that trip, and he said, uh, do you remember what you said to me? He said, uh, he said I, I really appreciate you restoring the ability to speak to ancestors, because when the European-influenced um, ministers came to spiritually colonize Africa, they basically said, don't talk to the ancestors anymore because of something that Moses said. Moses said, don't speak to the dead. Well, I don't believe the ancestors are dead. I think they're, they're just in another dimension. And um, I think it's, uh, I, I'm telling you, you think, I, I don't think you think I'm joking about this, but um, I don't overuse this, but uh, a couple of times I've called on Leona. Because uh, she told me, she said, I'm going to be, she's at, she told me this 48 hours before she transitioned. She said, whether I'm here or not, I will always be with you. You're not going to get rid of me. So uh, there, there was one night I was having chest pains really bad. And I prayed and also said, Leona, if you're calling me over there, don't call me yet. I'm not ready to go. I love you and all. But I need you to put in a word for me. And, you know, it worked. Now, some people would say, oh, you can't do that. You'll open yourself up to demons. Like, come on. That's ridiculous. And so, so when I, when I pray, I'm, I'm saying lots of things when I pray. And all of it, it all of it resonates with me. Y'all, are y'all cool with that? That's not controversial enough? All right, let me, let me see. What else can I say? <laughs> what can I say that I haven't already said? Um, so, in the in the metaphor of the garden, Adam and Eve are given. Come on in. In the metaphor of the garden, Adam and Eve are given uh, the possibility to create their rea- reality through two different options. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one is the tree of life. And because they chose to see things a certain way, they were cast out of the garden, but not in a punitive way. They were basically taken out of their environment until they got their perception right. That's why it says that uh, an angel was placed in the garden with a fiery torch. I don't think it was to keep them out. I think it was to light their way back to them. What's that got to do with me in the garden? This is what I'm trying to get across to you this week. You have a Genesis experience in your life that is leading you to a revelation experience. Okay, you're here to figure out why you're here. Haven't you heard this uh, this uh, quote? I've heard Steve Harvey say it. I've heard other people say it. The two greatest days of your life, one is the day you're born, and the second one is the day you find out why you were born. And uh, so you were given a destiny, a plan, a um, uh, best-case scenario for your life. You may have gone through things in your life that caused you to create your reality through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you have been on a journey trying to get back to seeing everything through the tree of life. You feel me? 
Like making peace with your destiny is seeing everything through the tree of life. It's, it's not either or. It's not binary. It's, it's yes and. It's, it's what I mean when I say it's all good. When I say it's all good, it's, that's code for I have perceived my entire journey. I have looked back over my six days of, of uh, creation as the creator did in the Genesis narrative, and I have said, it is good. I learned from things that I didn't do exactly right, but it all worked together to bring me to the place where I am now. Okay? That's why I'm using the phrase rethinking righteousness. Righteousness just means rightness. And um, until you get in your right destiny, until you get into the life you're meant to live, you're never going to feel exactly right. Um, when I was in Bible college, it was a, a big joke among people. Is I, I don't want to get called to the mission field. People would say, I, I hope God doesn't call me to the mission field. Like people would say, I, I looked up in the, in the clouds and there was a cloud formation that looked like South America or Africa or India and I think, oh, I hope that's God not calling me there. And it was a big joke about, no, I want, I want God to give me a, a nice church here in America. And what I would say to people back then, I'd say, I know you're joking, but if you're called to the mission field, you would be unhappy until you got there. To people who are really called, that's not a problem. That's a no-brainer. So you're saying it would be unpleasant for you to go because that's not in your calling. It, like, I probably was, uh, not probably, I'm sure I was way too blunt about this in my earlier days, but when people used to come to me uh, to ask for advice about a ministry, and they'd say, I, I think I'm called to the ministry, but I don't know, I would say, you're not called to the ministry. And they would say, you know, they'd be surprised. And I'd say, if you were called, you wouldn't even have a doubt about it. You would be like, I have to do this. I don't even want to do it. I have to do it. I'm apprehended of the Lord. I said, the very fact that you're saying, I don't know if I am or not, I would say, you know, you're probably not, at least not as a full-time vocation. Everybody's called to the ministry in some dimension to be salt and light, but um, to say that's what you're going to do for your, you know, your life's work, you have to be there has to be something that happens in you where you just know that you know there's there's no way you can't do it, okay? Uh, and then the whole thing about self-actualizing is understanding that Jesus set the example, Jesus embraced his destiny to show you how to do it. And at the same time, to wean you off of him. Now that, that's the part that's for grown folks. Because when he says, I'm going to go away, and in the next breath he says, and you're going to do greater works than me. See, people that can't even get comfortable enough to say they're co-laborers with God, or that they're co-creators, or that they're joint heirs, think, how are you going to deal with greater works? Because he basically said, I'm, I'm going to get out of here so that you can become me. That's really what he was saying. That's why Christianity is such a, there's something so 
intrinsically wrong with it because that's not that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to start a religion. All right. I know y'all know this, but I have to give this context, these disclaimers for this. All right. So let me show you this verse again. I've sh- I've used it a couple times already. This is Ecclesiastes 7:29 in the Wycliffe Bible, ancient text. Uh, he says, I-, "I found this only that God made a man rightful, that God made man." And then he meddled himself with questions without number. I found only this, that God made a person upright or clear-headed, but then he mixed himself in or mixed himself up with too many questions. Um, This is very different. This writer's father is David who said, in sin my mother conceived me. Here he's saying, man was created upright, but he allowed himself or she allowed herself to second guess his or her divinity. Anything that made you think less of yourself, made you doubt yourself, affected your self-esteem. Can I just say self-esteem is a holy thing? It is unholy to think badly of yourself. It is blasphemy to speak badly of yourself. Um, I didn't even mention this to you, but I did something. I don't even remember we were uh, going to meet a friend of Ken's for dinner. I did something. I dropped something or something. And before I thought, I said, I said, you idiot. I said it to myself. And just the, it's like I had said something horrible. I mean, I really had to, repent of it like I can't believe I just said that to myself you know because if you ever just done that where you see something so still like why did I do that and uh I don't even it's evaporated from my mind do you remember what it was we were we were walking to the elevator and I uh, oh I know what it was I put some garbage in the can before I put a bag in it so I was doing the thing where you are trying to empty the contents into the bag I should have I threw some stuff in there before I put a bag in there. And I didn't put the thing right. I was just in a hurry, and I just spit garbage everywhere. And before I thought, I'm like, you idiot. And I thought, man, and I know better than that. You know, like, if if somebody who like me who knows better than that, can you imagine what people who don't have revelation, can you imagine what they're saying to themselves on a regular basis? And that was just a minor thing. It was just some garbage on the floor. That was no big deal. But I I thought it's so interesting. It's why you have to stay on top of it. Because if you don't, you'll start remembering voices. Uh, The serpent will creep into you and cause you to doubt yourself. Um, And so that's what I'm talking about this week. The self-actualizing is coming out of the garden and going back to the garden. Because when you read the book of Revelation, if you're going to read the Bible in, in its context, the promise is not streets of gold, it's the tree of life. You read the end of the, the Bible, it says they were all given access to the tree of life. That's where we started. That's where we're supposed to end up. You're supposed to be going toward the tree of life. All right. So it says he mixed them up with too many questions. The next thing I want to show you is the number one question. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 through 13 in the voice. And the way the voice does it, they, they break it up into like a script. 
God says, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree in the center of the garden, the very one I commanded you not to eat from? Adam, pointing at the woman, it was she, the woman you gave me as a companion, put the fruit in my hands and I ate it. God to the woman, what have you done? Eve, it was the serpent. He tricked me and I ate. Now, you know what? This is what's interesting about this story. You know, if you grew up in Sunday school hearing this story, you're so familiar with it, you don't even really listen to it. You know what I mean? You're anticipating, oh, I know this. Everybody knows this story. Um, what's really odd to me about it is if you had never heard this story and somebody told you the whole idea of an Adam and Eve transgressing and needing a Savior, the, you know, basic Christianity 101. If you said, what exactly did they do? What was so bad that they did? They ate a piece of fruit. No, really, what did they do? That was the thing that infuriated God? They ate a piece of fruit? Well, he told them not to. I know, but have you ever told your kids to do something or not to do something and they did it? They did it almost automatically? You didn't send them to hell, right? You didn't say, that's it, you're cut off, you're out of the will. No, that's, that's just normal life with parents and children. So if you, just the very logic of this story, if you read it in a legalistic, um, technical way, it's a very flawed story. And then you say, well, God was so infuriated, he put a curse on them. What was the curse? Well, he said, women were going to have labor pains. That's it? Yeah, so it's going to hurt to have a baby. Well, anybody that knows how babies are born can kind of figure out that's kind of just, <laughs> that's just physics. I mean, if you, <laughs> you know, under normal circumstances, something that large to go through something that small, you don't even have to be a woman to know, like, ah, that's going to hurt. At least for a little bit. But it's a natural part of life. Everybody, I mean, those of you that, those of you women that gave birth here, you know, it didn't end your life. You were like, yeah, it hurt, it hurt. And then it was over. Um, well, what did he say to the man? That he was going to sweat when he did yard work. Again, that's it? These seem like really minor infractions, and these curses are pretty mild. You know, like, you're going to break a sweat when you mow the lawn. Like, oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> you're going to have labor pains. Like, okay, I kind of, you know, I learned that in health class, all right? So, when I read that, I think, well, there, there must be more to this story then. Uh, and when you literalize it too much, it starts sounding really illogical. What I get from this, and this is really where I want to take you today, is when your life goes in a direction that you're not happy with, 
and you blame anybody else for the direction of it, you're bringing some kind of curse on yourself. Self-actualizing. If Adam were self-actualized and the Creator says, where are you? Adam would have said, hey, I just need to tell you something. You told me not to eat of that tree, and I did. And I wanted you to hear it from me first. What do you think the Creator would have said? Okay, thanks for telling me. I'm glad I could hear it from you. I'm an all-knowing God. I already knew it anyway. But thanks for telling me. But because Adam gets this perception of, oh, I'm naked now, I'm afraid, and and, and, and God's like, well, who told you that? Not, I now say unto you that thou art naked and cursed. He's like, where'd you get that from? The, the implication being, you didn't hear that from me. Can I just tell you that religion has put a lot of words in God's mouth that God never said? What did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Where are your accusers? I don't have any. He says, well, I'm not accusing you. <gasps> Bishop, is God okay with adultery? <laughs> I'm just telling you, don't shoot the messenger. What he said to her is, you're making life choices that's making your life difficult, but I'm not condemning you. I know y'all may fall out of your chairs when I tell you this. God knows about sex. Because he created it. And again, you know, it seems like with Jesus, if you believe when Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father, people's sex lives didn't even seem to be on his radar screen. It's like he just didn't, you know, the woman washes his feet with the hair. He said, I know what she does. It wasn't like somebody said, Jesus, I need to, I need to have a word with you. Apparently you don't know what this woman does for a living. Can you imagine if Jesus had said, oh, I had no idea. Excuse me, ma'am. Put, put your hair back up on top of your head and wrap yourself up. I would like to say I had no idea who this woman is or what she does. Please do not anybody read into anything that will, that will not happen again. I mean, I, I guarantee if Jesus had handlers or PR people, they would have said, Jesus, you know, hookers bathing you is not a good look for you. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. I know what she does. Her sins are forgiven because she loved much. Yeah, we know. That's what we're telling you. She loves much for a living. That's the problem. And you know what Jesus was saying? I think y'all are mature enough to hear this, but he was saying, this is what this woman knows how to do. She's being true to herself. She's not having sex with Jesus but she's being tactile and intimate with a man in a way that a lot of women wouldn't have been. And what he's saying is, is for her, this is her truth. This is her worshiping me in spirit and in truth. This isn't somebody pretending to be a good girl because she already knows, y'all already know who she is anyway. It's probably slept with half of you in half of you in here anyway. Y'all already know. I mean, you know, when they when they brought the woman caught in adultery, Jesus starts writing on the ground, and it says, well, "I don't know what he, we don't know what he was writing. 
People have conjectured about it forever. But it very well could have been he was writing names down. Like, really? We're going to... You're going to stone her with stones? You know, like, last night, Motel 6. Um, I mean, I don't know that's what he was saying, but whatever it was, it thinned the crowd. And then, of course, you know, when the centurion comes to Jesus, the word he uses clearly has a connotation to it. And the man says, I'm not, because of the nature of my relationship with this man, it's, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. And Jesus says, I'll come heal him. And this says it's the greatest faith I've, I've found in all of Israel. To the pure in heart, all things are pure. So if Adam had just told the truth about himself, I mean, again, the woman caught in adultery, what, Jesus, what was he so thrilled about with her? He says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, you've well said. You've had five husbands and you're living with a man now that you're not married to. And he said, and the father's looking for people like you. What? People that have lots of partners? No, people that tell the truth about their life. God hates a lie. Because the universe is supposed to be built on the concept of truth. Everything's about the truth. Everything's about transparency. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting to me about the nature of our culture now is um, people have pushed the boundaries of what we used to consider pro propriety more than ever and at the same time, people are more scandalized by other people's behavior than ever. Doesn't that seem like a, a contradiction? Like, wouldn't you think people, you know, running around naked and have, you know, doing pornography and all this kind of stuff, wouldn't you think culture would have gotten more, like, yeah, we're cool with that? No, the cancel culture's bigger now than it's ever been. It's just an odd thing where everybody's doing something and nobody's telling the truth about it. I'm not saying everybody is, but I'm just saying, um, he says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship them. He could have just as easily said, worship them in authenticity. Any time, and I, I'm going to take it out of the, um, the sex vibe. But anytime you put on airs to be something that you're not, there's something wrong. It's just so wrong about that. Just so wrong about that. Um, last night, the, the the gentleman we had dinner with, he he wasn't Ken's boss. He was sort of. It's hard to explain. But he was sort of sort of like he was. And we've maintained a friendship with him and his wife. And when we're in New York, we go see them. And he's down here for a golf conf uh, tournament and called us and said, do y'all want to have dinner? And it was just like next door to us. So we walked over there. And um, this is a really highly accomplished man. And he, he works for this uh, company that uh, designs this super high-tech 
uh, workout equipment, and he his their headquarters is in Italy, and he's telling us all. I'm asking him all this stuff because I'm genuinely interested. You know, how did this guy design this? I mean, if this is like the top line, state of the art, what like professional ball players use this. I mean, you, I wouldn't even have time to explain to you all that this equipment does. It, it's so futuristic. It's like as he was explaining to me, I thought I can't even believe this even exists. Like, um, he, he was telling me, he said, like, for you, if you did a bench press, there's a computer that will change the weight as you go from here to here and will evaluate uh, everything about your body and tell what's going on. And he said, and that code, you could work in any of our places around the world. You can just log in your equipment. And it, it just, it sounds so futuristic. It's crazy. Um, and he's in the conversation he said, you know, nobody ever asks me questions like this. Because I was asking, how did you, how did you get from where Ken works to this? Because, but he used to work for a hotel chain and they, some of like the Waldorf Astoria, some of these places would put in this kind of equipment. That's how they knew him. And, um, as we were talking, he said, your, your questions are really insightful. I said, no, I'm genuinely interested. Like, this is amazing. Um, in talking about, let me tell you, there's a, there's a lot of money in the world. Uh, there's a, there's a, <laughs> you're awake now, aren't you? See, I thought, I thought you were kind of glazing over and I was like, Reggie. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Someone just says, Reggie, at your back. <laughs> All I have to do is like. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, but my point, and we were talking about it, I said, you know, We, somehow the conversation went to why some people intimidate other people. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't understand it because if I meet somebody who's very accomplished or successful or wealthy, especially if it's an area I'm not familiar with, I'm never put off by it. I'm, I'm interested in it. I never think, oh, that guy's better than me. I just think, oh, wow, this guy knows some stuff I don't know. I'm curious. Tell me about your journey. I think that's pretty interesting. And he was saying that, but he said that comes from a place of self-esteem. You know, uh, you're not comparing yourself with somebody else. And that's my whole point in this, this, in this series. The power of God in your life is supposed to make you like God on the earth. Not, let me tell you something. When somebody acts better than somebody else, acts like a jerk, they're, they're compensating for the bad way they feel about themselves. People who really know who they are don't make you feel bad about who you are. I, I'm, Sean, I'm sure you've noticed this with celebrities that you've met. The bigger they are, the nicer they are, typically. The ones that are threatened by you on their way, they, they have an agenda. The ones that know who they are, they're like, some of like the really, really big celebrities that I've met, if I had a chance to talk to them, they were like genuinely interested 
in talking to you, and, and I didn't feel put off by them at all. Um, all this stuff where you think this group is better than that group, or these, all of that's a lie. It's just a lie that needs to be exploded because people are just people. Um, we, we went to a very high end restaurant last night and he was talking about how much he misses Taco Bell. And, and Kim was telling me, you know, they've opened a, they've opened a Longhorn out there by Reynolds where I work. And he was like really interested in that. And I thought, how are you possibly interested in this? You know, all that, but, it, but he was because people are just people. All right. What's the next thing I have on here? All right. I know I quoted Kay Fairchild the other day. I'm going to quote her again. Let me just read. This is a post she did on February 6th. I, just, I, I like everything about it. Romans 5.12, the King James Version states, Wherefore, as by one man's sin, and she was talking about how the sin technically means mistaken identity. Like the, the I think it's the Greek word, hamateia, I believe. It, means, it literally means to miss the mark. It means to not be who you are. Uh, whereas by one man's sin or mistaken identity entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for or because that all have sinned. Now, the first thing I showed you today is God created man upright. Adam introduced sin or mistaken identity into the world, but man himself bought into it. Isn't that like what I just read out of Ecclesiastes? Man was created upright, but he confused himself with too many questions. And all those que the granddaddy of all those questions is, who told you you were naked? All the other questions in your life are the offspring of that one. Because naked becomes a, a, a metaphor for who told you you weren't right with God. Um... Man himself bought into it through his religious programming, which then negatively affected him in his awareness. As Colossians 1.21 states, we were alienated and enemies of God by wicked work or work or toil or sweat of religiosity in our minds or heart awareness. The Mirror Bible states one person opened the door to sin or mistaken identity. Sin introduced death. Both sin and death had a global impact. No one escaped its tyranny. We were brought here upright, but because we were told otherwise by religious teachings, we embraced the lie. We did this on our own because of immaturity. Adam's sin did not automatically pass down unto us. I think this is super important because if you have this theology that says, well, I was just born in sin and that's my nature and I can't help it, that it's, it's making every decision you make, it's skewed by that. It's colored by that. Didn't you ever think like, that didn't even seem fair. Why is it, why have I got a, why is that my problem? Um, what kind of love would allow us to suffer the consequences of what someone else did? Adam only introduced sin into the world, and we embraced it hook, line, and sinker through what religion taught us. 
Ezekiel had it right when he told the people to no longer say this proverb, the fathers ate sour grapes and it set the children's teeth on edge. What he's referring to, it's, it's the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, and it's where he talks about generational curses, and he says, no longer will you say in this, uh, no longer will you use this proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children set on uh, teeth are set on edge. He's basically saying every generation is responsible for itself. Stop thinking you inherited nonsense from your family and from your culture. But you're an individual. Um, what was he saying? He was showing then that you do not automatically inherit what somebody else has negatively done. Then Ezekiel told them further what to say, which was the soul himself that embraces sin or mistaken identity, he shall die or embrace death my emphasis added is what she added. Therefore, just because Adam introduced sin and death into the world, we did not have to buy into it since we were originally given dominion. However, we did embrace it because of religious concepts. We were in Christ long before Adam ever fell in his awareness of who he was, which will we believe. Now, of course, when we embraced the lie, we did the same thing Adam did by forgetting who we were from before the foundation of the world. But being in Adam was never automatically our plight. We put ourselves in a place of mistaken identity through the lies we embraced in religiosity, and we did that due to our immaturity. However, now a people are remembering. Psalm 22.7 states, All the ends of the world shall remember who they have always been and are, and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. That's why I'm always saying to you, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I, if I'm a facilitator to help you overcome uh, spiritual amnesia. Even... Eddie, well, even what you said to me before, you said something about the thumbprint I've left. Sometimes when you're in the middle of your current reality, you kind of forget, oh, I am that person. And the same thing's true for you. You have to remember who you are. I mean, you, you, it has to be brought back to your attention. Um, when people settle for less in life, it's because they have forgotten. They don't. They don't believe they deserve it. They've forgotten their rightness, their righteousness. Uh, people settle for wrong relationships. They settle for, they, they just settle because they believe a lie. Did you know it's also a holy thing to stand up for yourself? It's a holy thing to defend yourself. It's a holy thing to say to somebody, Sorry, you can't talk to me like that. It's your responsibility. It's a holy thing to have boundaries. If somebody's manipulating you or accusing you, it's you, you have a righteous imperative to say, you can't, you can't do that to me. You can't talk to me that way. And it doesn't mean that has nothing to do with arrogance because you're not talking to them that way. That's why periodically I've, I had to share this over the however many years I've been on social media. 
The reason I don't put up with somebody going on my page and arguing with me about something or insulting me is because I've never done it to anybody else, ever, yeah. ever. I read stuff that people post all the time that I'm like, good God. <laughs> Seriously, you really believe that? But I'm thinking that's this is their front yard. This is what they're putting out there. So as long as you're not on my page, like, namaste, I guess. But, you know, whatevs. But because I hold myself to that standard, I also say, no, you can't, you, you're not allowed. Can I say it to you this way? And I said it to you once before and y'all got it. Can I just say that having access to me is a privilege? It just is. And the people in my life who have access, like if you have my phone number, if you know, if you have ever messaged me or whatever, it's because you've earned the right to. You're in my life, so it's not a bother to me. There's other people, I'm like, mm -mm, no, you can't. I don't think I can give you that access because I don't know what you're going to do with it. You, right. Like, I can't, I have a responsibility to protect my own divinity. I can't, it's not that I can't take it. I mean, I can, uh, there's nothing you could say to me that's worse than, I've, I've heard all everything. But I just no, I don't. I don't allow that now. Like you can't. You know, if you're gonna play nice, and we have you have a stake in my life. Yeah, here's my number. Call me. Whatever. Like I don't. Some of you have texted me late at night. I've never said how dare you. I'm like no. It's like it's fine. No, you don't. You don't uh, exploit it. You don't give out my number to people. And 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 I'm not. I'm not that private a person. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I do live my life very openly, and I don't, I'm not afraid to do that. But it also means we have some standards here. And if you're going to be in my world, there's a, a way you're going to have to talk to me because I talk to you that way. I'm not, I'm not saying just because I'm a, a minister, touch not my anointed. I think you're God's anointed too. I don't want to touch you either. Um, we're constantly informing people how to treat us. And if you allow people to treat you a certain way, um, you can't complain about what you've permitted. I remember, I'm sure I've referred to it before, but I remember years, this is when Coretta Scott King was still on this side, and something had gone on in the press, something had been said about her, and her daughter Bernice, Minister Bernice, Elder Bernice King, she got up and was being very passionate about her mother. She said, I just want to say, she was introducing her mother and she said, you better leave my mama alone. She was just like, sounds kind of stuff. Well, Coretta, you know, she was always so poised and everything. She, she finally gets up to speak and she's so, she, you think she's going to commend her daughter for cussing everybody out. And she goes, thank you, Bernice. I am perfectly capable of taking care of myself. I was like, ooh, snap. She told you. I mean, it wasn't like she even said, that's my daughter. She was like, no, I got this. <laughs> but let's just say, 
Bernice didn't say anything else. <laughs> she just got it. She took several seats. Because when Coretta tells you, like, I don't need that, but thank you. I know your heart's in the right place. But it, it was just kind of a moment where when she said it, you're like, damn, she's Coretta Scott King. And you know what I mean? It's like you kind of, do you know what I mean? It's like from, at, at first when I was listening to her daughter, I was like, yeah, leave Miss King alone. And then she gets up and I'm like, oh, Miss King, Miss King, take care of herself. <laughs> I, for, I forgot for a minute. Uh, she's, she's an American icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She ain't just somebody's mama that got cussed out at the Walmart. <laughs> and it was just kind of a, a moment where it was like, that was, she sort of took your dignity back and sort of set everybody straight. Like, I, I've been around this block a few times. I mean, they've been writing about me in the papers long before you were here. So it was just kind of a moment. And it wasn't like she was being a jerk about it. It was just like, no, this is who I am, and I'm good. And that's, that's what I mean by self-actualizing. It's like, know who you are in God. And um, so let me, now, let me get back to this thing about the blame thing. Because I'm telling you, this is really important. Um, let me show you this quote. This is by Brene Brown. And she says, Perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Now, here's the thing about the word perfect. Perfect is subjective. What somebody else considers perfect behavior may not be perfect. Perfect is what's perfect for you. Can I just tell you this? Half the stuff that people apologize for the self is unnecessary. Most times, the stuff you think, you, you know, like, oh, I don't look right, or I don't this, or whatever, you over-explain stuff. People aren't even, they're not even noticing it. It's completely unnecessary, the stuff you're saying. You compliment somebody that, if you ever notice somebody immediately wants to tell you, I didn't pay that much for it. Yeah. I got it on sale. Like, I didn't ask you how much you paid. Like, I don't care if you said you know, it's your money. Now, if if you're talking about bargain hunting, that's fine. If if you know somebody like that and you're like, let me tell you what I got this for. That you should go check that place out. That's fine. Nobody has any problem with that. It's when you automatically assume you don't deserve something nice. But that looks really good. Oh, I I got it at Goodwill. Well. Okay, that wasn't what I was asking. Um, if you have the kind of rapport with somebody that you could say, don't tell anybody. Well, that's fine. That's a relationship you have. But when it's just across the board, you, Proverbs says a fool speaks his whole mind. You ain't going to tell all your business. Jesus said don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. P people, listen. There's a difference between transparency and being true to your authentic self and degrading yourself. Those are two different things. If I want to get a good deal for something, that's fine. If I want to save money, that's great. 
it's not stem, stemming from a place of me thinking I don't deserve it. Furthermore, if you've worked hard for your money, however you want to spend your money is your business. Nobody has any right to weigh in on why are you spending that money on that? Is it, is it your money? No. Well, then why do you even, why do you have an opinion? But haven't you noticed how people are so opinionated about, I can't believe you spend that kind of money. Well, was I, was I asking you for any of it? No, but I just felt like my opinion was important. Well, it's not. <laughs> All right, let me show you this next one. Uh, Pema Chodron says this. We habitually erect a barrier called blame that keeps us from communicating genuinely with others. And we fortify it with our concepts of who's right and who's wrong. We do that with the people who are closest to us and we do it with political systems, with all kinds of things that we don't like about our associates or our society. It is a very common, ancient, well-perfected device for trying to feel better. Blame others. Blaming is a way to protect your heart, trying to protect what is soft and open and tender in yourself. Rather than own that pain, we scramble to find some comfortable ground. Now, when we talk about the garden, just the instinct that these characters have. You know, Adam immediately says, he does a, a double blame. It was the woman that you gave me. Like, I'm, I'm totally out of this. This is beyond my control. This is all on y'all. I didn't ask for her. This was your idea. So you... I mean, if you're going to follow the story, you're the one that knocked me out and took my rib out. So y'all need to figure this out because this is all on y'all. <laughs> and then he looks at the woman and she immediately says it was the serpent. Now, I'm not saying that you have to take, you know, if you've been abused, there are certain things that are horrible. I'm not saying you brought on yourself. What I am saying is you cannot go through your life blaming everybody else for what happened to you. At some point, you have to say, this is what happened. This is my reality. And I completely own it. I would suggest this to you. You haven't grown up until you can do that. Sometimes if I on YouTube or on American America's funny home videos, I've noticed you see there's they they'll do those that show kids lying about eating the cookies or something. But you know you'll say, "Did you eat that cookie?" And the kids got cookies all over them. Like, no, and, but there's other ones they show of people's dogs, and it's amazing how these dogs can show shame. You know, like that. There's one even that. A guy was yelling at his two dogs for they had messed up the kitchen or something, and one of the dogs actually put his paw on the other one. Like, <laughs> and I thought it's such a natural instinct to to blame somebody else. Um, <laughs> 
And until you can deal with the blame thing, you're still scrambling around the garden trying to hide from or hide your nakedness. Nakedness is a metaphor for who you are. You can't, you know, you can dress things up, you can put makeup on you, but when, but naked is naked. Uh, I had to go back to the dermatologist this week. They had to do a little minor surgery this week. And I don't enjoy just running around with my shirt off. It's just done. There was a time, I'd be like these days, I'd rather just keep it on. Thank you very much. But I can't, you know, the, it's, it's a nice young girl that's the pedi- um, dermatologist. And there's another nice girl's working for her. And she, they're so matter of fact about it. She said, just go ahead and take your shirt off and sit there. She'll be, she'll be in a minute. And I thought, only y'all could say this to me, you know, because everything in me is like, I don't, I'm not really sure. But it's like, well, there I am. And they don't care. I mean, for a minute, I thought, do you know how many shirtless men they've seen in their 60s they've seen today? This ain't nothing but a thing. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so we're talking the whole time, and I'm like, well, I guess I better just get relaxed, you know. That's what I look like, so there we are. And she doesn't care. There's no point in even make me making a joke about it, because, like, she doesn't care. But I thought, I can't hide that. You know, you are, you take your clothes off, and there you are. <laughs> Sometimes you get to look at yourself in the mirror, and you think, who is that? Oh, that's my my current incarnation. That's what I look like now. Okay, then. <laughs> and if that doesn't do it, let somebody catch you in a random picture. He sends me first, but there are certain angles you're like, oh my God, I'm never eating again. <laughs> And I do the same thing for y'all. If I post a picture of y'all, believe me, I've already checked it out. Make sure you're good with it. If it was iffy, I would run it by you first. Um, but naked just means I don't have to blame anybody. You know, the the things maybe I don't like about kind of where my physicality is right now, it's totally on me. The whole reason I'm going to the dermatologist right now, and she's doing her little surgery thing I said you know and they say what could your I think I said this last time but you could say something to your younger self what would you say I would tell that guy laying on the beach and not wearing sunblock like you probably need to stop getting sunburned it's not so cute you don't need you don't need to go lay in that tanning bed like you know it was but I but I have to own it nobody said to me you better get a tan or don't come back. You know, like that was that was on me. So I think, well, okay then. I guess we're going to have to remove a couple of things that I probably wouldn't have had to otherwise. And it's actually very liberating to say, that's on me. There's nothing like, it's happened to me more than once, visiting somebody chain-smoking who has lung cancer and emphysema blaming the devil. It's happened to me. I remember ministering to a guy who's taking his oxygen out and he's like, I want you to pray for me because I said, devil, you're not going to. 
You're not going to give me that lung cancer in Jesus' name. I took authority over that devil. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like you, this is all on you. There ain't no devil anywhere near. And I know there are people that get lung cancer who have never smoked. I know it's not always. But with him, I'm no doctor. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure you could connect those dots. So at some point you have to say, I'm going in for treatment, but I totally own it. That's on me. Um, probably I wouldn't have had to get my shoulder replaced if I had just worked out consistently all of my life. But I've ha- I've done a lot of fits and starts. You know what I mean? Like I would want to get back in shape and I'd hire a trainer. I'd start working out really hard and then I'd get back in shape and then I'd quit. That's not good for you. If you're going to do it, you need to do it consistently. I didn't do it consistently, and so I have a new shoulder. Double minded man's unstable in all his ways. <laughs> Y'all, help me, Jesus. All right, let me see this next. This is a Wayne Dyer quote. (laughs) It says, if you blame others for something that happens in your life, then you must wait until they change in order to get better. That don't make you think. Because when you blame somebody, you've given them so much power. I wouldn't be this way if it weren't for you. All right, well, then you just empowered them to say they're completely holding your destiny in their hands. Just, I mean, just let that soak in for a minute because we've all done it. And then I have another quote by him, actually. I'm going to end with him. It says, All blame is a waste of time. No matter how much fault you find with another, and regardless of how much you blame him, it will not change you. The only thing blame does is to keep the focus off you when you are looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or frustration. You may succeed in making another feel guilty about something by blaming him, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that is making you unhappy. If you've settled for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you have to just eat its fruit. When you see your life through the paradigm of the tree of life, you see all the stuff that could be labeled good and or bad, good and bad, good or bad. But at a certain point, it becomes none of that. It just becomes part of your journey if you say I was fine until they did that you've made that person too much of a god in your life that's why forgiveness is so empowering because when you forgive somebody you're saying I can't let you have this kind of power over me um, I did a teaching I did an 1111 this week and I was talking about because I got people that watch me in Africa and, you know, like I know that their their theology may not be mine. There's maybe more traditional. And I say, 
if you if this is not your version of Satan or the devil, that's fine. You're I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. I'm I just need you to know this is where I'm coming from. To me, Satan or the adversary is the opposite of the truth. I don't think of it as an entity that's the devil with horns. I think there's lots of things that manifest as adversaries in your life. There are many devils. And the, um, you know, I, I refer to this verse a lot, but I don't ever usually refer to the next verse. There at the end of John 14 where he says, um, Satan has come to me, but he has nothing in me. You know, I say that all the time. You know what the next verse says? He says, he has come to show that I obey the Father and that the Father and I are one. That's not the devil I grew up with. The devil I grew up with is supposed to take people to hell. This was He's, he's basically saying, the lie has come against me so that I can show what the truth is. And I, I showed other instances. I said, at the Last Supper, it says Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus looks at him and says, go do what you're going to do. Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't command the demon out of him. He says, let, let the thing work out so that the truth can be seen. You think about all the lies you believed about yourself in your life. You have to nearly embrace them to say, I'm this, I can't empower this thing anymore. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to let it do its work in me. Even the, um, I even mentioned the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit can be saved. Meaning, let the adversarial thing run its course so that he knows what the truth is about himself. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. It basically means until you confront the lie, you'll never know that you believe the truth. And if you run from the lie or afraid of the lie, the lie is powerful over you. Jesus says, the lie has come to me, but it has nothing in me. And what I said, I said, here's a, a good way you can remember this. When somebody triggers you, hurts you, you know, devastates you. Instead of obsessing over what they did, ask yourself, why does this person get to me like that? Why, why is this person this powerful uh, in my life? Um, the, the, that's where you're going to get to where the truth is. It's not, yeah, but they did. Stop the yeah buts. Everybody did all kind of stuff. The question is, how did you handle it? What did you learn from it? How did you self-actualize from it? Joseph says to his brother, you meant it for evil against me, but God used it for good that many people could be saved. I'm telling you, at a certain point, you need to look at all the adversaries in your life and say, I thank God for every one of you. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't know who I am. And now I know that I know that I know that I know. I mean, I, I, I know who I am. And I wouldn't have known it if you hadn't come at me with that lie. But I know that's not the truth. <laughs> I got Wellington fired up. 
<laughs> I know your spirit, and those of you who are streaming, I know you're hearing what I'm saying. And in your heart of hearts, you know this is the truth. Um, you could believe this and still believe Adam and Eve were literal people. That's To me, that's immaterial. I, it, does, it doesn't matter to me. Probably all the Bible stories can be traced back to something that actually did happen. And then they were sort of, um, you know, blown up and uh, manipulated a little bit. But the basic truth of them remains whether they were literal occurrences or not. And something, you know, of all the things I said today, the thing that resonated with you the most is when I said we were in Christ long before Adam ever fell. Doesn't that feel true? Isn't there something in your spirit that needs for that to be said? The cross wasn't this band-aid, this reactionary thing. Like, oh, we got to fix this. God's really mad that y'all ate a piece of fruit. It wasn't that at all. It was we, the Elohim created man, woman in their image. And anything that is less than that image is sin. It's mistaken identity. See, we thought, oh, sin is thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Do you know where all that comes from? It comes from people not knowing who they are. Um, why is there more crime in some neighborhoods than others? Because there's more desperation in some neighborhoods than others. Some neighborhoods, you think, well, they never have any crime here because those people in that neighborhood, they don't need, they have everything. They don't need to steal anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like it, it becomes what we label the sin as reactionary to people just not knowing who they are. That's why I say self-esteem is a holy thing. Knowing who you are is a holy thing. Believing on what you do is a holy thing. I even noticed it last week because I haven't been... Just being in D.E.'s office beforehand with all the other bishops, and I hadn't been in that environment in a long time, and I was amazed at how relaxed it all was. Like I could tell all those guys in there they're seasoned. They know who they are. There was nobody. There was nothing passive aggressive. There's like you could tell every like some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know. Everybody was genuinely happy to see each other. Nobody was asking somebody for a meeting. Nobody was being uh, opportunistic. Even uh, Beckwith, I met him, but he and I didn't. You know, we didn't become good buds, and I was fine with that. It's like no, I met him. It's cool, and I don't need to. You know, I don't need to do any more than that. I met him. You're good. We took a picture together. And it's good. There was a time I would be thinking, I should be, I should give this guy my information. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, he should know who I am. And, uh, and I don't, huh? Right. And I don't feel that now at all. I was like, I'm happy to see everybody. This is good. This is nice. You know, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would do this for anybody but my cousin. You know, got to put this robe on, get it altered before. <laughs> Man, that robe was from 26 years ago. You feel me? But I was happy. You know, I was happy to be included. And and here's the amazing thing: I would have been fine if I hadn't been. 
That's the... Totally. And so now, I'm like, oh, you're going to include me? Yeah, this is great. And I ended up being the one who prayed the consecration prayer. I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of my gig in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and that's what he wanted. He said, no, say whatever you want to say, pray. But he even said, you know, prophesy if you want to. I didn't have a prophetic word. That's what I wanted to do. But it was, it was just, I had been out of that flow for so long. It was kind of interesting to be back in it and to think, I'm totally cool with this. I mean, it's fine if the opportunity arises, but you know what? I'm just as excited to be standing here today talking to y'all. I swear. It's like, oh, this is good. I'm good with this too. I don't know if there's anybody in here could give me a... I'm not trying to give my number. Like, I better give Gloria my number today because she could she could help me out. I'm, I'm way past all that. That's why even when he says, your next wave is coming, I'm like, all right. <laughs> it wasn't like I was like, oh, yes. I've been chosen. I was like, well, okay, we'll see. Do I have to buy another new suit? <laughs> but I was just glad I, because there was a time that would have just made my day. Like, oh, I've been prophesied over. And now I just thought, oh, well, it's cool. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. And I don't know what our next wave would even look like. But who knows? Maybe I'm already in it. Maybe this is it. And if it is, Yay! Ride that wave. Let's all stand. You all get anything out of this? Yes. Yes. Y'all yes. know I love y'all. And I appreciate you and I honor you and uh, I never take one of these days for granted. I mean, I don't. Every every time we're together, it's special. Every day is special. Uh, I I think I could say this for all of you too. Don't you find yourself becoming more grateful? I I take the, I'm much less likely to take things for granted now. You would think it would be the other way around after you've been around and seen a lot of stuff you're like yeah whatever but but i'm just the opposite now i'm like well, i actually appreciate it appreciate things more i'm actually more grateful i think i know how to appreciate things even more uh that's why even this past wednesday night i met all three of the boys were in town and when we walked outside they were just they were talking about video games, and I, I wouldn't. I said, "Y'all are like speaking in tongues." I don't even know what y'all are talking about. Because I just never. I, video games. I would buy them for them, but I'm never. It's just not my jam. But I was looking at them. They were like laughing, and, and I, I just snapped pictures of them real quick. And they all looked at me like, "Why are you snapping pictures?" I said, "I just. I don't know. It's just cool to watch y'all laughing together. It's just a flashback. I used to like when my kids. I could hear them giggling and laughing in their room. It used to make me really happy." Especially when they weren't screaming at each other or breaking something. It's like, oh, now that, that little sound is nice. I like that sound. And just for a moment, they looked like little boys laughing together. And I thought, I would, thank God for, for uh, cameras in your phone. Cause, you know, now you can just grab a moment and relive it and, and, uh, and share it with people that understand. And, you know, it's just, that's, I think it's a beautiful thing. All right. Um.
Holy Spirit, I've told everybody what I believe was the right thing to tell them today. Uh, the rest is on them. And I speak uh, uh, an understanding, a knowing of receptivity to this word. That we are triumphing in our own gardens and are finding our way back to the tree of life. We thank you for it. Amen. Please remain standing. Let's show you that. Outro. Metron is quick and you can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate, 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit missionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Make your check to JESM if you have cash. Pay it forward. Uh, what did we have one? Is is this the end of the February? All right. Well, uh, I'll start a new series series next week then. And oh, you think there's more? <laughs> All right, it's possible. I think it's important, don't you? Yes. All right. <laughs> it could be. Also, something you said in this today that I just spoke to my heart, Lord, and it's true. You've always been very respectful toward us. And I know, I think it's been 10 years I've been coming to something. You've always been so respectful toward all of us. Right. And that's, that's something that's... Uh, Precious for people that follow follow so. Yeah. No, I, I mean I really value it because you don't you know you don't have to you don't have to do anything. The fact that you do it willfully is it's I never take it for granted. Thank you for saying that though. It is hard to believe it's been, Metron Metron's coming up on ten years and so and y'all were at Midtown Church before that even but I can't believe how I got to quit saying it I guess but can't believe how time flies all right you're gonna have a beautiful week uh it is well with your spirit your soul and your body in all things i'll see you next week love you